Good morning. So as Pastor Jacob said, we're going through our Ancient Cliff Notes series. And what we've been doing is kind of just giving an overview of what happened, what it means to us, and how it points to Jesus, right? Well, this morning, um, the usual disclaimer, things are going to be different. Um, What I want to do is tell the story of the life of Jeremiah. So this is, if you're... If you're going to be, you know, if, if normally you, you uh, are waiting for the story to end, for the sermon to start, that's not going to happen. Uh, it's all story. <laughs> so, so just uh, get comfortable. Uh, what I want you to do is imagine being there, okay? Imagine putting yourself in the story. You could see it as a movie, but what I want you to really do is, is feel how it feels. Uh, imagine what it smells like, what, what you hear, what you feel. And, and what God might be saying to you through the story of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah's life story is, is long. He had a lot of prophecies, 60-some chapters in the book. Uh, what we're going to do is focus on like five vignettes of his life and uh, just get a sense of who he was. So here we go. A youth named Baruch ran through the streets of Jerusalem. The streets were busy and narrow, the sounds of hammer and chisel filled his ears as, as workmen were repairing and, and preparing rocks for the renovations of the city and, and the temple. Here and there, he could hear the smack of an axe on an Asherah pole. He was running down from the Temple Mount. All this work was the result of young King Josiah's reforms. He was undoing some of the damage that his father and grandfather had done to the nation and allowing their imaginations to be captured by foreign gods. He had some of the other kids, he, Baruch and some of the other kids who were near the temple, uh, were called in. They were, they were students learning to be scribes. They were called by their teacher to come and see something exceptional that had happened. And he was running now to tell his friend Jeremiah they, they, they found, they found the law, they found the, the law he puffed and took Jeremiah just a little while to calm his friend down enough to catch his breath and to understand that they had found a long lost scroll of the law as they were doing the renovations at the temple. It spoke of how God's people lived out the promise, the marriage contract between God and his bride. Jeremiah was young. He was full of teenage angst. He belonged to the priestly tribe. King Manasseh had gone hard after the gods of the people around. Moloch, to whom they sacrificed children. The Baals, the sun gods and stars. The Asherah, the fertility goddess, whose priestesses had sex with worshipers in groves and hilltops of pole-like idols. He had reintroduced all the moral rot and spiritual corruption that had been scoured from the country when God depossessed the pagan nations in favor of the children of Israel. He rebuilt all the sex and religion shrines that his father Hezekiah had torn down. And he built altars and phallic images for the sex god Baal and the sex goddess Asherah. Exactly what Ahaz, the king of Israel, had done. 
He worshipped the cosmic powers, taking orders from constellations. He even built these pagan altars in the temple of God. The very Jerusalem temple, dedicated exclusively by God's decree. In Jerusalem I place my name. It's dedicated to the name of God. And he built shrines to the cosmic powers and placed them in both courtyards of the temple. He burned his own son in a sacrificial fire. He practiced black magic and fortune telling. He had seances, consulted spirits of the underworld. Much evil in God's judgment. A career of evil. And God was angry. Manasseh had even set up an Asherah pole in the temple to give Yahweh a wife. Jeremiah's family had settled in the village of Anathoth as worship of Yahweh became more marginal and pushed to the country shrines. King Josiah, Manasseh's grandson, had recently called the priests back to Jerusalem to serve in the temple, trying to make it once again the central focus of the worship of Judah. But Jeremiah felt dry and, and vaguely angry. He didn't know why or what was missing. He'd heard stories that his grandfather had told of the prophets in Israel, the kingdom to the north that had split from Judah after the time of Solomon. And how they had been carried away by the Assyrians. He heard how prophets like Amos and Hosea had warned them. But the idea of the law, he thought as being like a rigid set of, of, of minutiae. He couldn't understand why God would get rid of his kinsmen just for not following that. I mean, he had heard daily in his school as the, as the rabbis taught those who were part of the priestly caste. They taught them and they debated and they, they talked about the minutia of the law. Why would God destroy his chosen people for that? Jeremiah's kin to the north. But you know, Baruch's excitement had touched off a fire in Jeremiah's heart. Baruch, he said, we have got to hear what is in that scroll and taste God's word for ourselves. Well, as a scribe, Baruch spent his days copying the text of the scroll. Every night, he would join his friend Jeremiah and rehearse what he had written that day. Excitedly, they would talk over God's love for God's people that would bring them out of slavery and call them a bride. Oh, they knew all this, of course, but there was something about reading the stipulations in that marriage contract that made it real. Jeremiah devoured the words of the scroll, like, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep the words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts and on the gate 
gates of your house. He was amazed by how concerned God was with the hearts. That his word would live there. And would fully consume the lives of his people. He promised so much good if they would hear his voice. And warned of so much trouble if they wouldn't listen. Jeremiah's heart was inflamed. And he longed to live his life as a sacrifice. Consumed by God's presence. He wished that for all God's people. Whom Jeremiah was learning to love by hearing of the love that God had for his people through the covenant that he made. He longed to hear God's voice. And it wasn't long before God actually spoke to him. This is what God said. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. A prophet to the nations. That's what I had in mind for you. But Jeremiah said, hold it, master God, look at me. I don't know anything. I'm only a boy. God told him, don't say I'm only a boy. I'll tell you where to go, and you'll go there. I'll tell you what to say, and you'll say it. Don't be afraid of a soul. I'll be right there looking after you. God's decree. God reached out and touched his mouth and said, look, I've just put my words in your mouth, hand delivered. Look at what I've just done. I've given you a job to do among the nations and governments, a red letter day. Your job is to pull up and tear down, to take apart and demolish, and then start over building and planting. Can you imagine speaking for God? It was a high and holy responsibility. The beautiful words that, that Jeremiah had been devouring would be coming from his lips. Jeremiah excitedly imagined preaching to reinforce the reforms that King Josiah had started. Calling people to embrace with their hearts their God and put away from their minds those foreign gods, those no gods, those false things that jo Josiah was doing away with. Jeremiah imagined the people turning back to God. See, Josiah scrubbed the place clean and trashed the spirit mediums, sorcerers, domestic gods, and carved figures. All the vast accumulation of foul and obscene objects, relics, and images that, that littered Judah everywhere you looked. Jerusalem, too. And Josiah did this in obedience to the words of the Lord that Hilkiah the priest had found in the temple. There was no king to compare with Josiah, neither before or after. A king who turned in total and repentant obedience to the word of God. Heart and mind and strength, following the instructions revealed to and written by Moses. The world would never again see a, a king like Josiah. But despite Josiah, God's hot anger did not cool. The raging anger ignited by Manasseh burned unchecked. I'll remove Judah from my presence in the same way I removed Israel. 
I'll turn my back on this city, Jerusalem, that I chose. And even from this temple, which I said, my name lives here. Well, the, the job of a prophet was not easy. And it wasn't one that any prophet wanted. And Jeremiah, perhaps more than any other prophet, was going to learn that hard truth. How about you this morning? Have you heard God's call? God is calling each of you. Even now, his voice is ringing. God is calling you to relationship, to be in love with him. God is also calling you to be a disciple, to learn from him the good life. And he's calling you to ministry, to love those around you. Can you hear the call? Listen for a moment. Israel was a bottleneck between superpowers. Josiah had achieved independence from the Assyrians while they were being destroyed by the Babylonians. But the superpower on the other side was Egypt. Pharaoh Necho was going to war with Babylon and he was racing through the valley of Megiddo to meet him. Josiah got in his way and was killed. The people made his son Jehoahaz king. But Pharaoh Necho quickly made Judah a vassal state and took Jehoahaz into exile into Egypt and installed his brother Jehoiakim to the throne. Jehoiakim now followed in the footsteps of his great-grandfather. And soon the places cleared by King Josiah were littered with non-gods again. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and told him, Go, buy new underwear. <laughs> okay, God of the angel armies, I will go and buy new underwear. But no, not just any underwear. I want you to buy the special linen underwear meant for the priests. And I want you to never wash them. <laughs> I want you to put them on and walk to the Euphrates River. Well, Jeremiah was used to symbolic acts. All of Israel, in fact, were used to these symbolic acts. It was a way that God used ordinary things to communicate his message. Things like Isaiah walking around naked was a warning. Or Ezekiel laying on his side for months at a time to demonstrate how long the judgment would be. Or Hosea taking a, a prostitute as a wife. The list goes on. So Jeremiah knew better than to question God when he said, buy new underwear and walk to the Euphrates. Well, the Euphrates River was a two-week walk from Jerusalem. It took him into the heart of the Babylonian Empire. Walking gave him much time to reflect on the state of affairs in Jerusalem. Every grove of trees he passed, some of the trees had been carved into poles to honor the sex goddess Asherah. Her priestesses were there to be raped by the worshipers who were trying to ensure a, a good harvest. It seemed every hilltop, every grove had its shrine again. 
And Jeremiah thought back to the Asherah pole that Manasseh put in the temple. Move over, God. Make room for your wife, the queen of heaven. God's wife. The marriage contract had been between God and his people. And then look at this. His people run after all these these non-gods, these false gods, these, these lovers, and, and instead they come back and, and think, oh, well, we'll, we'll give God a, a new wife. We'll replace him. We'll replace our place with this non-God, this, this sex toy. A gall. Jeremiah's eyes burned and, and tears started to flow as Disappointment choked his heart. All those reforms that Josiah had made, they were just skin deep. They didn't change the hearts of anybody. So quickly they were back. Oh, Master, oh, God of the angel armies, how can you endure the pain? Two weeks of walking in the heat, the dry, the damp, Jeremiah finally reached the banks of the Euphrates. You could imagine that the new crisp underwear were no longer quite so fresh. God then commanded Jeremiah to bury the underwear in the bank of the river. Several days later, he heard the word of the Lord telling him to go back and dig up his underwear. They were rotted covered in sludge and slime, and good for nothing. And God explained, this is the way I'm going to ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. A wicked bunch of people who don't obey me, who do only what they want to do, who chase after all kinds of no-gods and worship them. They're going to turn out as rotten as these old shorts. And just as shorts cling to a man, so I made the whole house of Israel, the whole house of Judah, to cling to me, declares the Lord, so that everyone could see they were my people, a people I could show off to the world and be proud of. But they refused to do a thing I said. This new king, Jehoiakim, also refused to do a thing, God said. God had Jeremiah dictate all the things he had ever said to him to Baruch, and Baruch wrote them down in a scroll. They worked on it for months. Then Baruch took it to the temple on a fast day when everyone was there and read it to everyone. And some of the officials convinced him to let the king read it. They thought it was important, being God's word and all. Well, the king was in his winter palace, it being December. And there was a charcoal fire there in front of him. And he, as his cronies read from the scroll, after every column they were done with, he would cut it off and throw it in the charcoal fire. And then he sent his officials to find Baruch and Jeremiah. But God had hidden them. And God had them buy a new scroll and write all the things down again, and this time added more judgments and Jeremiah wished that he could just be silent. But when he tried to ignore the word of God, it became like a fire shut up in his bones. 
from hiding, Jeremiah cried out to God, You know where I am, God. Remember what I'm doing here. Take my side against the detractors. Don't stand back while they ruin me. Just look at the abuse I'm taking. When your words showed up, I ate them. Swallowed them whole. What a great feast. What delight I took in being yours, O oh God. God of the angel armies. I never joined the party crowd and their laughter and their fun. Led by you, I went off by myself. You filled me with indignation. Their sin had me seething. But why? Why this chronic pain? This ever-worsening wound and no healing in sight. You're nothing God but a mirage. Beautiful oasis in the distance and then nothing. This is how God answered him. Take back those words and I'll take you back. Then you'll stand tall before me. Use words truly and well. Don't stoop to cheap whining. Then, but only then, you'll speak for me. Let your words change them. Don't change your words to suit them. See, I'll turn you into a steel wall. A thick steel wall, impregnable. They'll attack you, but they won't put a dent in you. Because I am at your side, defending and delivering God's decree. I'll deliver you from the grip of the wicked. I'll get you out of the clutch of the ruthless. Jeremiah had become used to tears. He was utterly alone. He couldn't marry, couldn't join in any celebrations, or even mourn with those who were, who'd lost a loved one. He had to mourn alone. And they called him the weeping prophet. But how could he not mourn? He saw the sins of the people. He saw what sin did to them, what their sins did to each other, what their sins did to God, and most of all, what that sin was leading to, the destruction that was before them. You know, having sorrow on account of sin is it's a good thing. It's not... Not good to wallow in guilt, but to see, see the world around us is broken. And to, to, to mourn for the fact that it's not the way it should be. Mourn for what sin does to our loved ones and does to us, does to our world. Take a moment or two now. Just, just feel that sorrow. The things that you see in the news that make you, you cringe. sin. In addition to grieving the sin of Judah, Jeremiah also had to face the fact that they wouldn't listen to him. God gave him the spoiler alert early on in his ministry. They won't change their minds. But compared with his early ministry under Josiah, Jeremiah felt a little deceived. Why wouldn't they just listen? Why did God have to destroy them? If, if my preaching and my praying was any good, couldn't we avoid this destruction? 
Oh God, you deceived me and I was deceived. Could God do this to his chosen people? God told Jeremiah, up on your feet. Go to the potter's house. When you get there, I'll tell you what I have to say. Well, the potter was walking along the banks of a stream with her baskets. She would stoop down and bend down, scooping up some mud with a large potsherd. She would feel it in her hands and inspect the texture. See if it was a good consistency. And then she would scoop it into her basket, wash off the potsherd, and go to another place, find some more, until she was finally had enough clay for her, her pot. And then she would go back to her workhouse. Well, Jeremiah arrived at the potter's house, and sure enough, the potter was there working at her wheel. Jeremiah sat and watched as she made pot after pot. Soon he noticed a pattern. Sometimes the clay wasn't right for the slender, tall pot that she was trying to make. The clay would resist, crack, warp out of round, and collapse. Now, it wasn't that the potter had made a mistake or gouged the vessel. Just that the clay wasn't right yet. Not yet. Jeremiah watches the potter. She would, she would destroy the pot, pushing it back down into the lump that it came from. Knead it for a while. And then she would proceed to remake a different pot from the clay. All responding to her vision as an artist. Then God's message came to Jeremiah. Can't I do just as this potter does, people of Israel? God's decree, watch this potter. In the same way that this potter works your clay, I work on you, people of Israel. At any moment, I may decide to pull up a people or a nation or a country by its roots and get rid of them. But if they repent of their wicked lives, I will think twice and start over. At another time, I might decide to plant a people or a country, but if they don't cooperate and won't listen, I'll think again and give up on the plans that I had for them. So tell the people of Judah and the citizens of Jerusalem my message. Danger! I'm shaping doom against you. Laying plans against you. Turn back from your doomed way of life. Straighten out your lives. But they'll just say, why should we? What's the point? We'll just go about our lives the way it's been, doom or no doom. Still, Jeremiah had a clue to the problem that he was facing. Even though everything looked hopeless, even though all would be lost, the clay was still in the potter's hand. Imagine that you're the clay, 
in your hand right now. Imagine that you are in God's palm. What does that feel like? Some years later, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took Egypt's place as the occupier of Judah and took all the best and the brightest into exile, including Daniel and his young friends. He also took the new king Jehoiachin and took him into exile, putting his uncle Zedekiah in his place as his puppet king. Well, some of the officials heard what Jeremiah was telling the people, namely, this is God's message. Whoever stays in this town will die. They'll be killed or starved to death or get sick. They'll die. But those who go over to the Babylonians will save their necks and live. And God's sure word, this city is destined to fall to the army of the king of Babylon. He's going to take it over. These officials told the king, hey, please kill this man. He's got to go. He's ruining the resolve of the soldiers who are left in the city and, and, and that of the people as well by spreading these words. This man, he's not looking for, after the good of the people. He's just trying to ruin us. So King Zedekiah caved in. He said, if you say so, go ahead. Do what you want. So they took Jeremiah and threw him into the cistern of Melchizedek, the king's son, which was in the, the courtyard of the palace guard. They lowered him down with ropes. Now, there wasn't any water in the cistern, just mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. <laughs> Funny. Jeremiah thought, see, God had, had said that Judah was a broken cistern. <laughs> that they were running away from the living water and they couldn't hold water themselves. And now Jeremiah found himself in a broken cistern sinking. The mud sucking at his feet and then his ankles and then his shins. <laughs> he wondered, what would the potter make of this clay? Jeremiah's mind went back to the word of the Lord when he said, I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. And they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. Oh, Jeremiah thought, God will save, God will deliver, God will deliver, God will save, he will save, he will save, he will save. That word in Hebrew, by the way, he will save. It's Yeshua. I imagine as he fell asleep with that word in his mind that he dreamt of a man named Yeshua. And this Jesus would proclaim a new kingdom and, and, that, that, and clear out the darkness, bring the light. That he saw that he saw this, this man, this Yeshua, Jesus, in a dark hole just like Jeremiah had been in, dead for three days. And then in his dream, the hole filled with light. And he woke up, up to his chest in mud. 
Well, Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. The king happened to be sitting at the Benjamin gate, so he went out and spoke to the king. My lord king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they did to Jeremiah by throwing him into the cistern to die there of hunger, for there's no bread in the entire city. Then the king commanded him, take three men from here and go, go take the prophet Jeremiah out before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and they went to the house of the king to a, to a wardrobe in the storehouse and got old rags and clothes and they brought them to Jeremiah and threw them down into the cistern and they said, put, put the rags between your armpits and the rope and we'll pull you up. And soon the mud gave way. And Jeremiah came up out of the cistern. Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. Then Zedekiah called for Jeremiah to the third gate of the temple to ask him privately what he thought he should do. Jeremiah told him that God wanted Zedekiah to surrender to Nebuchadnezzar. The king was afraid of what the Judeans who had already defected might do to him. But Jeremiah replied, just obey the voice of the Lord and what I say to you. And it shall go well with you, and your life shall be spared. But if you are determined not to surrender, this is what the Lord has showed me. A vision of all the women remaining in the house of the king of Judah, being led out to the officials of, the, of Babylon, and saying, Your trusted friends have seduced you and have overcome you. Now that your feet are stuck in the mud, they desert you. Well, sure enough, in the ninth year of the king of Zedekiah of Jerusalem, in the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and all his armies came against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem for over a year and a half. The people inside the walls were starving. Starving to death. Some even turned to cannibalism. Many died. The city itself was devastated before it fell. Let me ask you, what hole or siege do you find yourself in today? What place do you need rescue from? Where do you need the assurance that he will save Yeshua, he will save. When King Zedekiah of Judah and all the soldiers saw the Babylonian officers or in the city, they fled, going out the city at night by the way of the king's garden to the gate between the two walls. And they went toward Arabah, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook them. And Zedekiah was captured in the plains of Jericho. When they had taken him, they brought him to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Well, the Chaldeans, they burned the king's house and the houses of all the people. Then Nebuzaradan, the king, the captain of the king's guard, they exiled to Babylon all the people who were left. The ones who had deserted to Babylon and the ones who remained. All of them were taken 
And Jeremiah was set free from the court of the guards. He was left to wander the deserted, smoldering streets of that city that was the capital of David's great kingdom. He sang laments to God, expressing his grief. You think about it, God had promised David that his descendant would be on his throne forever. Sometimes we feel disappointed. We feel disappointed even by God's promises. We feel deceived. Jeremiah learned that God's promises of good don't mean that there's no sorrow. Only, only that we are still clay in the potter's hand. That's the promise. And that's what Jeremiah wrote to the exiles in Babylon, telling them to hang on. They weren't to put false hope in the false prophets who said they'd be there only a short time. They were in it for the long haul. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have made for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. See, it was in the context of all this pain and this suffering that Jeremiah could write, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your good, for your welfare, and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Sometimes we wish we could claim that promise means that there's no pain or no suffering. But it was in the midst of the pain and the suffering that God was giving that promise because the clay was still in his hand. He was still molding and making Israel. That's the promise potter holds you in the palm of his hand. Yes, the kingdom of David fell and was destroyed, but the kingdom of God is among us. Jeremiah could look forward to knowing that there would be a fulfillment to the promise. God's kingdom is the place where what God wants done is done. Now that hadn't been Israel or Judah for many generations. But the golden thread of God's covenant love, renewed by Jeremiah's preaching, was carried on by prophets in the future. It would be front and center in the preaching of Jesus, the fulfillment of the promise. Jesus proclaimed access to the kingdom of God that had nothing to do with with politics, had nothing to do with temples or rituals. The kingdom of God was at hand, and it was a matter of the heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. These were the thoughts from Deuteronomy that were so important to Jeremiah. They were front and center in the teaching of Jesus. Today, no matter what your circumstances, no matter the siege or hole that you may find yourself in, the destruction that you face, no matter the disappointment, know that you are firmly in the potter's hands. He knows the plans he has for you. So put your hope in God. Yeshua, he will save. I want you to give God your worry and your complaint and with your whole heart love him. As we take communion, I want you to let that be a reminder of God's love for you and just cast your love on him. Cast your cares on him. And then just love him with all your heart as Jeremiah longed for his people to do.